This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. This is Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR, and we have an exciting day for you. But before we get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about who we are. I am Anna Thompson. I am our Manager of Marketing and Communications here at New Memphis. New Memphis is a local leadership development nonprofit that has a a spectrum of programs that range from collegians all the way through C-suite executives. And our main priority is focused on our favorite asset in Memphis, it's people. And we are tasked with activating, retaining, and developing them to stay here, right here in the 901, because there are so many ways to celebrate our city. One such individual is stopping by our studio this morning, and he is a delight, dear listener. He is Paul Chandler. He's the executive director of Germantown Performing Arts Center and a department head of the city of Germantown. Um, he's going to break down a little bit more about what that means in our upcoming chat. But basically, the GPAC, as it is known and loved around these parts, has a unique model. And so that gives him two hats to wear. Um, Germantown Performing Arts Center is a successful multidiscipline performing arts center. The facility was built by the city of Germantown. Um, as executive director, along with the 19-member GPAC board of directors, um, he guides the performances and the educational programs and all that that entails. They also have a beautiful outdoor space called The Grove, which opened up in 2020. So it has yet to kind of see its true potential realized. And Paul is a, he's really exciting. He's been in the music industry and the entertainment industry all his life. He um, has an incredible history with uh, different aspects of that. And he loves our city. And that comes through in this conversation. Uh, So without further ado, here is my conversation with Paul Chandler of Germantown Performing Arts Center. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining. Um, From what I can tell, your story is very true Memphis, which I'm excited to dig a little into. I think so. I think so. It's my city. I was born and raised here. Not many people know. It was my college nickname of all things. And I still have people who call me Memphis. Really? Yeah. As I travel around and, you know, if I go to Chicago or New Orleans or Dallas or other cities to visit old college buddies, they still call me that. My wife was always amazed. They still call you Memphis. Yeah. I like it. I mean, there are But Memphians don't know that. So I've I've actually never really told that to very many people. Well, you got that. We got the scoop here today. I know. (laughs) Hold the phone, everybody. You got it. Extra, extra. Um, So we're going to. Get started a little bit, and like I've just teased our listener, will you tell us a little bit about you, born and raised in Memphis? Yes. Um, so, Paul Chandler, I've been born, my father's Bob Chandler, was a, um, a, a career-long ad advertising agency owner. He got his start at Malmo, like they all did. Yes. And um, he was quite successful at that, and I think maybe 35 years in the business of, of wow. owning. My mother is a Puerto Rican. Oh. I've inherited lots of Puerto Rican DNA, I believe. She came here to Siena College, which was a college run by nuns. Okay. I'm unfamiliar um, with that. Right, yeah. which was located where Oak Court Mall is now. And I remember being a little kid 
and my mom, we would drive by it and see this old building. I don't know if it was in um, in operations in you know in the early seventies when I was just a kid, but yeah. that's it was called Siena College, S I E N A, I believe. Who knew? I mean, and he went to CBU and she went to Siena, and they met, and then they got married, and my brother and I. Uh, we're born here in Memphis, yep. and we go to we used to go to Puerto Rico all the time. We don't go so as often. Much of the family is deceased, but uh, we have called this place home. Well, and we thank you for that. I have a neighbor from Puerto Rico, so yay! All the best things. I get amazing food from time to time when we have our potlucks. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit about your journey um, in your work? How did you? Sure. You're sure. Um, the executive director at GPAC. I am. I'm the executive director at. Germantown Performing Arts Center, as we call GPAC. Oh, yes. yes, affectionately known. I am. Uh, um, I'm a department head with the city of Germantown. Okay, so I read is, that, and you're going to have to explain to me what yeah. what that means. So we're quite GPAC is quite a unique model. Okay. In that, um, performing arts centers are commonly funded by either a university or a group of angels. Philanthropists. Ah, okay. Commonly. Yes. Um, the ones with uh, that are university-owned have usually a, um, that ongoing support through the university and through the you know, student workforce. The philanthropic ones, you know, the, the philanthropy comes and goes. Yes. So you got to be careful there. Yes. Ours is the city of Germantown, which is uh, obviously a government-owned yes. Facility and we are government employees. I don't think I realized that. Not many people do. So it's not a uh, it's a it's a unique model, but it's it um, it exists in cities throughout the country, predominantly in the Rockies and in the West. Okay, I've just come across two and three in Texas that is uh, government owned. Okay, and what we have, what what most of them have, is a nonprofit. Entity connected to it. Okay. So ours is Germantown Performing Arts Center is the nonprofit entity that, by contract with the city, manages the program, and the program is defined as everything that happens inside. All the performances and all the education are all overseen by a, a nonprofit board of directors. So I deal with two budgets. I deal with Ooh, sort of okay. That's interesting. Two leadership groups, uh, and it's worked. Swimmingly for quite some time. That's so interesting. And I have to give Germantown credit for that model. Uh, recently retired city administrator Patrick Lawton, who was the city administrator for 33 years, yeah. was around when GPAC was constructed. And in year right after year one, which is 1994, they were like, wait a minute. We've done some research. We need a model that is sustainable. And that is when they established government-owned, government employees, with a nonprofit entity that could, you know, raise contributions to support artistic programming. So interesting. So, d in your opinion, you have had um, other jobs besides this, obviously. I so, have. yes. So, is that it's a unique thing to have to work? I think with two different budgets, two different. You know, would you say it's a pro or a con? Right now, it's a pro. <laughs> 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 it's been a pro for a while. Yeah. Okay. Good. And there's. Really I feel like some people might look at that and be a little bit daunted. Yeah. It, they, uh, it's it. It is a model that's been around for 28 years. Okay. So we have seen. Don't fix what ain't broke. Right. We've seen <laughs> bad times and good times, yes. and everybody's very mission based, and 
Germantown leadership in the on the governmental side is is incredibly thoughtful, intelligent. They're good planners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very well managed city, and our board of directors is incredibly strong. Um, and you you know that's how you get a good strong board over twenty eight years. We have some board members, uh, Bill Watkins of Watkins Uberall, twenty four years on the board, twenty years as the treasurer. Wow, which is really remarkable. But anyways, back to me. Yes, back to you. Because you asked. Yes, I did. <laughs> right, and our so listeners want to know. I'll, t- I'll, I'll try to be brief. I'll, I'll, I'll explain my GPAC journey, which is also unique. So it opened in 94. I was hired as the assistant to the director in 95. I was about 25 years old, maybe 24. Uh, within a year, they made me an assistant department head. Which was a big deal for Keys to the a kingdom, almost. Yeah. five, 26-year-old. And so I was the number two. So suddenly we, were, we had five, four or five employees, and we were doing about nine shows a year plus educational programming, yes. renting the place out to whoever wanted to use it. Um, I did that for six years. I left. Um, I came back for a year as an interim director. Okay. I had started a company with some partners in the meantime, and which is an entertainment-based company called Resource Entertainment Group, which still exists today. Yes. And um, then went back to REG is what we called it, and was there about nine years. And then 10 years ago, what's today's date. Well, I can't tell you today's date. Today's date is September 27th. Today's date is September. So I was on September 13th earlier this month was my 10th year on my third time. So collectively about 17 and a half years. We'll count it. And, um, but in this last run, 10. That's impressive. Yeah. I have, um, left and come back and left and come back and seen all these different evolutions of the space. Yeah. And feel like right now it's 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 in a really good shape, finely tuned. We understand it. We have an awesome team. Our team now is about fourteen plus part timers. Wow! And we produce. We we measured it sort of in two thousand and nineteen in a normal. Let's call that the normal year. Two hundred and forty nine different gatherings of people would occur in about a nine month period of time, with the summers being light. Okay. But now we have the Grove. I was about to say, which, now now the summers are not light. Right. We'll have to talk about that Grove. <laughs> so, but to finish my, a little bit of my history. So, prior to those different runs, I spent some years, many years in my youth working at the family ad agency at a very young age, which I believe gave me a strong work ethic. So, put those 15-year-olds to work ah, out there. I it, hear you. It counts. It, it, for me, I, I have an excellent... Um, uh, work ethic, and uh, I take it seriously, and I expect others to take it seriously. Um, when you're when when you're paid to do a job, you do that job, and you do it the best you can. And absolutely, uh, we have an awesome work life balance at GPAC, which is a very important thing for myself and 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 for the team as well. Um, in and around all of that, so starting at about eighteen, uh, and this is where I learned, I think, now at fifty three. That you're a product of your environments in your formative years. And so from 18 up and through about 24, I worked as an independent contractor in the film and video production world. Which is very high paced. 
Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah, and a wear you out too, like long twenty hour days. Um, I, it was a really awesome experience. I've done. I've been a PA, a location scout, a location manager, an assistant director, an associate producer, a grip. I've been on the worked for the gaffers. I've worked for the script supervisor. Um, I have not done hair and makeup, Aww. but that's where I got my haircut when I was for. That's adorable. From 18 to 24. Okay. Well, um, less adorable, and we'll go with handsome then. Right. And so we, um, I made a lot of friends there, but it's that's where I learned in one breath, these are my words, I feel like in that era I could talk to the truck loaders and the chief marketing officer of a Fortune 500 company all in one breath. That's a, that, had, that's a skill. I had that's to, an, yeah. As the the grunt doing all the work, I had to navigate all of those people. Had to be ready at a moment's notice, too. Right. And so I think I, it's where I gained this ability to talk to sort of all levels of production, all the way from artists to craft service. Yep. Everybody's needed. Yes. And so that was a, a, a incredible part of my life. Uh, I, I counted it up one time. I did 348 productions between 18 and 24. It's really remarkable. That Cor- is remarkable. Corporate videos, only one movie. What movie? Uh, <laughs> I think I, well, too, I had a day on the firm, okay. but it was just a day. As I, any good Memphian did. I did nothing, but <laughs> I wanted to be on the firm so bad, but they, you know, they hire a bunch of LA people. Boo. Boo. And what do they know? And so um, I worked on a movie called Separated by Murder. Mm-hmm. Was it a lifetime movie? It was a made-for-TV movie, and it was <laughs> terrible. Now, now. It was. It was. It's terrible. I, I've come across it. The editing's bad. Everything was, was bad about it. We don't have to talk about it. But What I, was your experience? But it, you came away with valuable experience, correct? I, yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> so there you go, silver well, lining. I'm going to tell you the one interesting um, bit about Separated by Murder I was ended up being the location manager because they had fired the location manager. I was okay. the assistant. Always, so always, I worked, always good to be walking in that kind of situation. I worked <laughs> at this big house on Sweetbriar where we were shooting for several days. Yeah. This movie was a movie about uh, some uh, uh, twins. Naturally separated by murder. Right. Okay. Now, it was, they were played by the same actress. Of course. It was the actress from Cagney and Lacey, the blonde-haired one. Okay. Can't remember her name. She played both twins. Okay. Yes. The murderer for hire was played by the same man who played Charles Manson in Helter Skelter, <laughs> which is a role you can't get away with. So every time he turned the corner, I'm like, there's Manson. That's terrifying. Yes. But he was really nice. He smoked have, a lot. I remember that. I'm going to have nightmares now. Thank you. And um, we were shooting on Sweetbriar. And long story short, being the location manager, you're always last to leave. Right? Okay, yeah. So I was waiting for everybody to wrap up, and it had been snowing and icing all day, and that was Ice Storm 94. Oh! Right, and I watched the Transformers start blowing up all over the city starting at 1.30 in the morning. Yikes, yeah. And drove this woman home whose husband wasn't answering the phone because there was no power in the house. Yeah. And I drove through this war zone of Ice Storm 94 all the way till like 3.30 in the morning. Oh, it wow. was quite terrifying and memorable, and that's the only movie I worked on. <laughs> it was clearly most a traumatic of, experience. Yeah, <laughs> most of the, um, and then in conclusion, 
a lot of TV commercials with Bob McCreary of McCreary Productions, who um, did all the AutoZone work and a bunch of national contacts and taught me so much. And I would also drive to Nashville to, because I could work on country music ah, videos, and they okay. were making three a day. Okay, we'll allow that then. Okay. Right. Well, I was going to Nashville to make money to bring it back to spend it here. Okay, okay. It was There was the, there was the era of Garth and oh, Alan Jackson yes, yes, yes. and all of that. So they were the best. cranking all of that country out. And I would go from country music video to country music video, stay for two weeks, pocket my income, come home, sleep for a week, and decide what I was going to do next. Favorite country music video you worked on? Oh, I don't really like a lot of country, quite frankly. I don't know a lot about it. Okay. It's fine. But favorite video or song? Either. Oh, man. One that stands out? My daughter, Hannah, she's in uh, Nashville now. She went to college in Colorado. Okay. She turned me on to, what's that Luke Combs song? I'll think of it. Yeah, if, uh, if it comes to you, just shout it out and we'll, and we'll all know what you mean. The Luke. <laughs> oh. Hold on. Let's see. Hold on. The, the one with song. ice. I got five ice cold beer. Never let me down. Beautiful. Crazy. Beer never broke my heart. Beer never broke my heart is actually a very catchy song. Okay. So Luke Combs, Luke beer never broke, broke my, my heart. heart. Okay. Yes. I mean, and I don't you know, really drink beer, so it's not about the beer. It's, it's, just, it's just a catchy little the, funny thing. The song is catchy. Okay. We'll, we'll give it to Luke Combs then. So um, if you just now turn the dial and you are just now tuning in with us, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. And we have Paul Chandler, the executive director of Germantown Performing Arts Center and department head of the city of Germantown. Um, so, Paul, tell me how you parlayed this back end movie career that you were having into the arts in this way that you currently are now. Sure. Great question. So um, I was, uh, as I said, in my mid-20s, my father said, you need a real job. And I ah. said, I'm an independent subcontractor. Reminds me of that scene in Father of the Bride. Where it, he's like, he's an independent communications consultant. <laughs> right. And George Banks is like, no. And looking no. back at it, I was like, oh, I'm about to need health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> about, Surprise. Right. You're an adult now. I'm like, what do you mean I need health insurance? <laughs> what do you mean this isn't a real job? Right. What? So I literally opened the paper. Okay. Which is what you did. Oh, yes. Two Sundays in a row. It also made me laugh when you said you called uh, an ice storm, you called somebody's house and they weren't picking up. And I was like, oh, yeah, because there were only landlines. Continue. Right. The paper. Exactly. And so I open up the paper, and there's this city of Germantown, Germantown Performing Arts Center, assistant to the director, knowledge of lights, um, audio, marketing, uh, production, production crews, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, I got this. That's me. Yeah. Sign me up. So I applied. And they said the same thing. They said. They, and well, I was, I'll never forget it. 127 people applied. Jeez. I was the youngest applicant, and I got Naturally. the job. Naturally. Okay. And well, I mean, you checked every box from what you just read to me, that, yeah, <laughs> that the requirements are. I think a big part of it was just is just prior to, I did an independent contractor work for Memphis and May mm-hmm. under Cynthia Hamm in her era, which was a long era, a long productive uh, era for Memphis and May. Yes. And um, I was in charge of all the international programming at 23 years old, 
And with that was the I had to produce as I had to be the liaison, which was really ended up being producing. For the countries? The or? Royal Thai Ballet's performance at the convention center where we had to build the stage and build the seating, like where, where they have the boat show. We had 3,500 people in attendance for two shows, 7,000 people. I was in charge of 80, uh, an 80-person troupe, mostly of dancers from Thailand who came and rehearsed and experienced the city and then put on the Royal Thai Ballet performance. I was also in charge of nine Thai chefs to go to Barbecue Fest. And I was in charge of a jazz band to also play Barbecue Fest, and it about killed me. I was about to say, and you slept all of June. I did. <laughs> I came in. I came in under budget. I'll say that. Oh, okay. Big kudos but for that. But it really, it really, it. I was way. I'm surprised you didn't walk away from like things like that after uh, after I, that experience. I was way over my head, but I pulled it off. So then you're like. So mm. then when I go apply for the GPAC job, there's this recent production of the Royal Thai Ballet and that caught the eye of the then director's like, what is this? And I'm like, if he can do that, he can. I just did it like by myself. <laughs> it was required. So I did it. I love that. Yeah, right. That work ethic. It's I like, like it. It yeah. was required. So I did it. Yeah. I'm it was... taking that back to GPAC. <laughs> I mean, that, you just did it's it. It's required. Should... So do it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's good you just got to get it done. Yeah. It's good for you and us. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So now moving into GPAC. So what is your favorite thing in this most recent 10 years oh, that GPAC brings to the Mid-South? It can be like, what just has your heart? And you're like, that That was a great moment for GPAC in the city of Memphis or the Mid-South. You might think that I would say it was a show. Mm-hmm. And you might think that it would be the Grove that... Be, which is an, a tremendous accomplishment, which we will know, be talking about next. But um, it's my team. Aww, it really is. That's a great leader. Um, we, I have worked hard with the team that's there to build a really great team and to communicate really well with each other and have mutual respect and have a work-life balance so important, especially in the last few years. Oh, yeah. And and having had all this knowledge at GPAC in prior years when I wasn't, you know, in, a le- in the leadership position, yeah. I watched just burn people out while just, you know, you get a – if you have an artistic director in a leadership role calling all the shots – from my observations, they just program. Mm-hmm. And they expect everybody else to jump in and execute. Well, they can. But not one thing on top of another. And you have to methodically balance everybody, their role, and how many hours in a week that they put in. And I think if you are cognizant of that and you have open communication and respect and um, shared responsibilities and all the good things that comes with managing a good team, then they'll thrive and they'll love it and they'll do anything for the organization. That's how you build people who pick up something on the floor when they walk by it. Oh, that's a good, I like that. 
You know, that's a good. That's that little thing goes a long, long way. And when you can find those kind of people that are hyper aware of their surroundings, they 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 want the customer's experience to be superior. Those are the ones, and the ones that don't do that, they don't last. Yeah. With us, and we've got some employees that are. We've got one. German Tupac has one 20, 25 years, fourteen, twelve. 10, 6, 8. That's great. Yeah. It's the team. And when the team functions really, really well, I have less to do. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, but just coach and yeah. and keep tweaking. And I have all these experiences from all these years in all these different environments. And I just bring them to our organization. And we're just constantly fine-tuning and in closing, the team has bought into that, and that makes me really happy. Shows are shows. We can book cool acts. We can book. We can get lucky. We can spend, overspend, and get somebody. Yeah. And those are really memorable things for a lot of patrons, and that's we're there to do that. That's great, yeah. Um, but um, it's my team. That makes me happy. Um. So little, I don't know if this is a little known fact. It was a little known fact to me prior to meeting you today. But so you had a hand, you were part of the team that began Live at the Garden concerts, correct? Yeah. So it's actually not that far-fetched for the Grove to then become a thing, the outdoor concerts. Sure. sure. I'll I'll tell you about the Garden experience real quick and then tell you about the Grove. So the Garden was really interesting. Um, We're there in 20 plus years now. And um, there was a guy named Eli Ball, and he approached the Botanic Garden and said, I have this idea. I saw this cool concert in California, and I want to do it here. So they do it there. He hires me as a consultant to over, to, uh, for marketing and, and booking. And okay. he, hires, um, uh, he hired somebody who was working at the Orpheum to establish the box office. And he hired Sherry, who's one of the co-directors now, uh, for marketing and sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And she killed it. Yes. And we killed it in year one. And it was a big hit. And we had, I can't even remember who was in the first year. Uh, And it was a huge success. And people loved it. And it was in a different location. But the Botanic Garden lost a couple of hundred grand. And so that relationship severed pretty quickly. And then some of the board members came to myself and a, and a business partner of mine. We were starting a company. We were starting REG. Mm-hmm. And we said, you have a great uh, thing here. You just, you need, to, you need to be in charge of the money, the Botanic Garden. Yeah. Bring the project inside your operation. We'll coach, Make it your own. We'll coach your CFO on how to understand sort of entertainment expenses and revenues and we executed year season two by basically advising the botanic garden for about five years our role went from sort of you know advising their leadership how to structure it and then we were just booking the acts until they wanted somebody else to book the acts but it's very common <laughs> they're like the well, we think that. if we call this company that they're going to book bigger ones than you can mm-hmm. which is not true, but it's a very believable thing okay. when somebody's holding a shinier carrot yeah. over here. People are fickle that way. They're funny that way. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, uh, 
I go to it and I I, I, I relish in its success and yeah, it's down it's not far from you know uh, uh, where we live and mm, same. It's really really a beautiful beautiful space. It is on a good night and, I can hear it from my front yard. Right, and yeah. so they do what six six or seven concerts a year. Yeah, I think so. And um and it's quite a success as I understand it's very successful and and helps the botanic garden be you know. To operate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to serve the community yeah. as it was intended to do. Well, perfect. That's yeah. awesome. So I did look it up while you were talking. And the one of the first people to perform beginning June 15th, 2001. Rachel. First performer was, drum roll please, Memphis's own Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes. That's yeah. right. Was that Isaac Hayes, Kathy Matea, Ray Charles? Was Maybe. Ray, I'm not that sure. could have been year two or three. Yeah. Uh, Ray, Ray Lyle Lovett. Kathy Mita, Isaac Hayes, Memphis Symphony with Callan Asperian. Ah, yes. Yes. Those I have are, that yes. brochure in my office. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so from there, from there, it's not, like I said, it was not that far-fetched to me that the Grove exists, one, and that it is so successful in what it does. Yeah. So talk to me about the Grove and how GPAC decided. How we got there? Yeah. How, yeah. How, how that lawn became the Grove that yeah. it is today. That is a beautiful place. I've seen Memphis Ukulele Band there. They're good. That's, they're fun there. It's really great. So the, the story of, of how we got there, um, it goes back quite some time. Um, back when I was the assistant director in the, oh my God, the late 90s, early 2000s. Which I hear the... Um, the young people are now calling the late 1900s, which really? is just rude. That's rude. That is rude. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel terrible. <laughs> um, I remember going to my the director then, Albert, and saying, hey, you know, bluegrass is really hot. Yes. We should do a festival outside in this beautiful grove of trees. And he was like, we're not going to do that. <laughs> All right. Okay, great. Perfect. Glad, glad we and had this I talk. And remember, then I remember Ron Jewell. <laughs> I'm going to throw. Oh, yeah throw a bone to Ron Jewell, um, Ron came over and he was going to go over to Bartlett. But yeah, be they back. Were yes, it. yes. And so we were talking through it. And I remember standing in the lobby. He's like, you need to do a bluegrass thing because Albert won't do it. And I think he did a bluegrass annual, like, picket and grinning bluegrass festival for over 10 years. And it was very successful. And you said, see? See, I, I yeah. told you, Albert. <laughs> and so... Um, then I came back, you know, as I said, 10 years ago at GPAC, and I was looking outside, and I have produced a lot of outdoor things, and I don't know, I just kind of like it, and I know that people like gathering outside. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a little bit more casual for some people, a little bit more L- inviting. A little more accessible to people who think—I've I've spoken to Ned Canty about this, too, at Opera Memphis. He was like, sure. there pe- there's people that think the theater or the opera are yep. not for them. But an outside concert on a lawn, I can do that. I can bring a fold-out chair. Totally right. And we saw that, too. Yeah. So, and, you know, the, uh, the opera started to come 10 years ago, and they were doing a little outside um, mm-hmm. gatherings before the opera production. And we also were putting, we would just call um, um, uh, a local combo of musicians, in Memphis musicians, stick them out in the yard in the front yard of GPAC, called two food trucks. We'd have a sellout show or close to a sellout show indoors, and we would have 400 people show up at these things, and sometimes neighbors who didn't have a ticket to the show because it was free and it was accessible and it was yeah. easy. And 
having been in the business for so long, I knew, you know, this is countless Memphis entertainers. Yeah. Who that end of the county had never heard of. Because they're not as active as an East Memphis Midtowner, Downtowner. Mm-hmm. It's not accessible. Live music isn't around every corner. Mm-hmm. So I was like, and these were my friends, and I wanted to help the industry so bad. And I do want to talk about my opinions and um, thoughts of the local music industry. Okay. Um, and so fast forward, we would do this. We did it f- several times a season, and it was a huge hit. So light bulb, light bulb. <laughs> so then the big story was this: we we just dreamed up a food truck and music festival because food trucks were hot. This is like I don't know eight years ago. Okay. We yeah. put a mobile stage. We hired multiple bands, like three, three or four of them. We put them in the Grove. We had 12 food trucks, and we marketed it with social media. Maybe we put an, we put an ad in the flyer. We had beverages out there, beer and wine, mm-hmm. soda, tea, face painters, bouncies, and it was free. Um, we thought 750 people would be a big hit for us, and we had 3,000. <laughs> How did you? They, they sold all the food. Yeah, I bet they did. And the team kept going to Kroger and Costco or wherever yeah. and they, to buy more beverages to sell <laughs> yeah. to all these people. Oh, yes. We're, so, we're a thirsty town that way. We were. <laughs> it, was a hell, it was a heck of a test. <laughs> so it sent a huge message, and we did another one. Yeah, you're just like, wait a second. And it was in. a lot hotter that year. There was a heat index warnings, and we had 2,000. So, you know, it, it, it was a paltry turnout in comparison. Right. So uh, we began to raise money and hire Archimania. And um, there's a long story there. But we, um, the short version is we designed it. We priced it. It was $4 million. Um, No, we designed it. We estimated the design. Preliminary design, it was estimated $4 million, and then steel and const- went up. Steel, collusion, everything went haywire in the construction world, and it went up 35%. Don't you love that? So then four was five. Okay. So we we split the expense with the city. So the nonprofit had raised half of it, raised $2.5 million. Okay. And then this, um, the city contributed, matched it at $2.5 million. It's a lovely. So lots of philanthropy for the building of the Grove from the you know local hero um, corporations from FedEx to AutoZone mm-hmm. who do so much in, in this community to Nexair. And the list goes on and on and on to First Horizon, True Green. On the foundation side, Assisi and Plow Absolutely. never before had – a lot of these entities, um, given any, if not large amounts, to our organization. And it all happened so quickly. In 18 months, we raised $5 million. That's huge. I know. That's a great accomplishment. Congratulations to you all for that. And as the project was going on, um, um, city leadership and our development department were at the, the state for um, um, Arts arts on the Hill mm, to mm-hmm. talk about what projects were going on. 
well, one thing led to another, and they're like, we need to do something for the districts. Do you have any projects? And yeah, I just heard about a project in another room. Tell us about that. And it happened really quickly. I have to back up and say when it, when we did pull the trigger on $5 million, we had to drop several components because we couldn't even afford it. Yeah. So you were like, okay, like, this is dream this is scenario, you, right. but like, let's like then now let's take off what we right. Can. We got two and a half million dollars from the state of Tennessee. So we finished the entire project and upgraded the technology to biblical proportions. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we have a Ferrari, and we've barely driven it. And I do want to add what about the Grove in the pandemic because mm-hmm. it was a a quite a journey. Yeah. We, um, you know, we all, everyone in every industry experienced the shutdowns and in the theater and venue business. Particularly entertainment was hit, especially difficult. And so the Grove was finished, physically finished on, in the end of May of 20. So I was the only one in the building from March 17th when the day Mm -hmm. before my birthday. And we were sent home. (laughs) Happy birthday. And I would go there and interface with the construction team yeah. with uh, Grinder Tabor. He did mm-hmm. an awesome job. Yes, I they recommend them. They're just – and really, really great people. Talk about a great team. I think they have a great team. I think they built Hattie Lou with Ekendayu. I feel Probably like they so. might have. Yeah, okay. I believe so. And I apologize if I'm incorrect on that, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, – so then what do we do? And that was right in the time where, well, you can have gatherings of up to 10 people outdoors. I actually came to the Grove when we needed, like, hula hoops or whatever. They're, whatever they're called. like Oh, those those circle things yeah, that we had. Yeah, cir- whatever they're called. Yeah, crop circles. Crop circles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were golf rings okay. for practicing uh, chipping onto a golf green. And you have, okay. we, had, we bought the 12-foot circle. So actually, I came. Uh-huh. That's one of when, when one of the shows I came to when we had to look at them or to you bought a, you got a pod. Yeah, I went to a show. Yeah. yeah, I went to a show. So in my crop circle, in your crop circle, <laughs> and so that's what we did. Starting on June fifth, we would have we first started with contributors and board members, and we had that giant video wall. Yep, which is super cool. Very unlike any other in the world that we can find that it's mounted on the stage that moves up and down stage and is connected to the inside theater so we can broadcast concerts inside outside <gasps> which we haven't even that. done yet like you said right, but we need it's a, coming we need the highway we need that flat road you can just really open her up right it's coming <laughs> for the ferrari and so um we started that way and our teams would come in from working from home and come in at like five at a time to execute an event. So we went from 10 capacity to 25 to 50 to 75 to 125 to 200 to 250. And we produced in the first fiscal year. So uh, I guess it would be of, well, from June to June. Okay. 113 events outside. And we think based on my communications with uh, agent friends across the country, we were the only ones doing Anything at that level, I would. I but would agree we could play I, yeah. the films, and people would come. Here's yep. interesting fact: we could play any film that was interesting, but we tried to stay in performing art related film. Okay, right? Mm-hmm. Documentaries or visual documentaries about Van Gogh, 
or uh, uh, the Muscle Shoals documentary, things like that, that people had seen or could see in the comforts of their home, but they could gather and be a part of a community during— Because for the love of goodness, we all needed it. Right. (laughs) For the love. Don't make me watch anything else in my house in 2020. The kids' movies still work great. I was about to say. They work great. There's just 300 I mean, people to 400 coming in. Kids having for fun. For the same reason. Up. It's for the love. Right. <laughs> Don't make me watch another Disney movie in my, my own home. home. <laughs> Let At, me get a food food truck and a drink. But if we put a grown-up movie, if you mm-hmm. will, right now, nobody <laughs> is interested. Because there's so much to do right now. There's so many options of live experiences. Interesting. We found that very interesting. We had a little series going on in... August, we're yeah. like, cancel it. Nobody's interested. What? Yep. Memphis, come on. So we're that's why we're rolling out um, Concerts in the Grove. So we're doing live concerts. Uh, we started in mid-September, and we'll go all the way up through the end of October. Okay, so I was about to say, talk to me about your fall programming, inside, yeah. outside, all around. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about that, because we're in the ticket-selling business. Oh, Listen up. Turn, yeah. it, t- turn it up, dear listener. So uh, so our fall programming is uh, quite exciting for us because we will be programming inside and outside at the same time, which we've yet to do, <gasps> really, with any level of, of normalcy. Uh, normalcy. <laughs> we've been testing. We've been still testing the yeah. Grove and still reopening. It's not as easy as you think. It's, it's challenging. And again, we're not going to go abuse the team. Yeah. Because that's not going to have a lasting positive effect. No, it's not. So Concerts in the Grove on Thursdays. They're from 6.30 to 8.30. They're all high-end local players. Um, John Paul Keith. um, uh, We had uh, Jason D. Williams open it up back in mid-September. Check gpacweb.com. It's all there. It's $5. You can do that, Memphis. There's $2 handling fee, I think, $152. Kids are free. Okay. Oh, I mean, come on. You're speaking my Did language. Did I get that right? I think I got that right. If I'm wrong, it's online. <laughs> Might be 10 and 5 for the kids for the concerts, but If you're wrong, like we said before, it's required. So It's really not that <laughs> big of a swing. <laughs> Do it anyway. <laughs> so it's a loss, you know, leader for us. We don't always make money. We've got good um, corporate support. Southworth Capital Management is, supports the entire series. They're... Um, new supporters of, of ours and they've been really really fantastic and they see the value of the grove and the reopening and the recovery of this community yes and on the inside we are presenting uh, we do two things Anna we're a presenter and then there is a term called a promoter and let me sort can of you, ex- yeah can you define the, you know define the difference they're both largely the same thing okay but a presenter, We're split the hairs here. Okay. right? A presenter in our sort of industry language. Okay. A presenter presents a performing season. Okay. So we're going to present season twenty-eight. Okay. It opens with so and so. It closes with so and so. And many of the performing arts groups, as you know, have a season. Yes. And they present a season, and we commonly schedule that about a year in advance. Right. Okay. We start educating um, patrons about what's coming. Okay. We try to take them on a journey. There's a through line. This, this, yeah, the, yes. the, the season 28 has should should probably reflect something from 27, right? So okay. we, well, the way we do it, we'll, t- we'll try things like, let's always put a bluegrass act in here for those people who really love that 
or for the patrons that like everything that we do and want to try something new, who are my favorite people. Oh, the people who okay. want to try something well, I was new. about to say, you're already speaking. My work wife, Erin, um, her boyfriend, Kevin, loves some bluegrass. So you're yeah. speaking his language a minute ago, but okay. So we'll always try to do a dancer. Okay. Um, uh, I'm sorry, a, a dance troupe or mm-hmm. dance company or two. Um, um, uh, a singer. Okay. Americana act. Um, and anything in between all of that, different okay. genres. Uh, and then we, we're, we're prob- we are certainly the strongest jazz programmer in the market. And uh, we're known from St. Louis to New Orleans to Atlanta, all the other primary jazz presenting markets in the Southeast. Love and it. so we bring in high, high-end jazz programming, which is um, our jazz audience. And we're, we're always, as we all should be, hyper aware of, of diversity within our organizations. Mm-hmm. And in particular, our, in this case, our audience. But our jazz audience is, I'll steal a line from one of my team members, our jazz audience is as diverse as Shelby Farms. Like meaning you see everyone from all walks of life coming because uh, this they're high-end jazz fans. And that sees no skin color. Okay. And so then a... So a promoter. Present, okay. So promoting So is- a promoter... Traditional sense promoter? Takes, yeah, it, it, it grabs an opportunity. Okay. So so-and-so act is coming through. This is usually booked three months in advance, oh, not so, a year. So shorter time frame. Okay. Shorter time frame. So um, we do that as well. Okay. So what we do, and since I started, the, my predecessors didn't do this. They just presented a season. But we'll just fill in other acts when we're not busy. Yeah, so any so, other time that is not already booked off for the presenting season is available for a promoter. Correct. A so promotion, whatever, I don't know. We just had um, Ricky Skaggs. Ah. We've got Old Crow Medicine Show. Yes. Which we are partnering with Mempho Presents, a new yes, promoter Mempho, of yeah. the market, okay, okay. which we're very friendly with. Um, and on September 29th, we have a special one I really want to talk about. Just a couple of days away, dear listener. Yes. And so, um, so Ricky Skaggs. Old Crow, um, um, who else is coming up? The one on the 29th I want to talk about, and uh, David Sedaris, which Ooh. is already sold out. Wow. Uh, we've got... Um, but good for you, I guess, you know. Yeah. So we'll allow uh, we've, it. In, in November, we've got Ricky, uh, Marty Stewart, old sort of kind of country legend act, mm-hmm. who is way cool. I mean, I already. I mean, I've already shown you my hand here. I, I I enjoy country music, which is why I asked you about the country. Oh sure, sure, videos. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm a '90s country baby. Froggy '94 was Froggy like 94, my, yeah, was I my station. It. Yeah, yeah. Froggy. It hit my mom's my mom's Honda. Isn't that 94.1? Froggy. I, I think it was. I think it was. <laughs> We're dating ourselves. I know. And so uh, Marty's really cool uh, because, and we had him several, I don't know, six or seven years ago. He has so much Memphis music history in his blood and in his DNA and in his history, and he tells those stories that I forget. You know, I dated Johnny Cash's daughter. I played in so-and-so band. Casual, I'm like, yeah. I was six years old with Lester Flats. I was like, what? What? And so he's, and he's such, a, such a kind man, and um, he's a great, great entertainer. I expect to see you there. Ah, no pressure. <laughs> but on September 29th is a very, very cool... Um, event, concert, or excuse me, it's not necessarily a concert, a performance. 
lectem, if you would call it, lecture demo, sort of. So okay. here it is. So it is called An Evening with Chuck Lavelle. Okay. And Chuck Lavelle, L-E-A-V-E-L-L, is currently, by day, a tree farmer and an environmentalist living on a giant ranch farm in south central Georgia by day with his wife of almost 50 years. Okay. When he's not that, since 1983, he's the keyboard player and the music and now music director of the Rolling Stones <laughs> since 1983. <laughs> Prior to that, in his early, early years, for, I don't know, at least a decade, if not more, he was the keyboard player for the Allman Brothers, right? Again, so if you casual. know that if you know that wonderful all Allman Brothers instrumental instrumental song called Jessica, if you haven't heard it, you should play it immediately. It's all him? instrumental. That's him as lead on the piano. Okay. I believe he will tell us the story of the creation of Jessica, and I think he had a lead role in writing Jessica, which is a great song. Okay. So in like you forty eight hours. You and I are gonna listen to it when this I know, over. right? We probably don't have the rights to like play it all on here. So and so, um, <laughs> and in between that, he has played for uh, an an A list, yes. including uh, Eric Clapton, who called him and left him a voicemail and said, uh, "I heard your recording. We haven't met, but I was wondering if you would play eight nights at Royal Albert Hall with me." <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let me check my schedule. Right. <laughs> so he is a southern gentleman, a peaceful, nice, approachable man with this giant career. And the respect that he has industry-wide is um, remarkable. Yeah. And you can learn all about him in a documentary that came out in 20. So it missed a bunch it of missed fanfare. a bunch of, yeah. Called Chuck Lavelle, The Tree Man. It's on Netflix. Stop. I'm going home tonight and watch it. You should watch it. Okay. It is excellent. I'm going home. And then home. you'll learn all about Chuck and you'll want to go. So what will happen on September 29th, two days from now. So you have enough time to go home tonight. Yeah. Watch this on Netflix. Yes. It, are the, you have to purchase tickets? Is it free? What? what you have we? to purchase tickets. Per- I think they're $40. Okay. Purchase tickets and then come on Thursday. The first 30 minutes are clips from that documentary. Okay. Then we'll have an intermission. So maybe don't watch it. Right. You can watch it, but... I lied. Don't watch it. If Wait till a, Friday. If you're a music <laughs> nut, you'll watch The Tree Man twice. Okay. Because you'll you'll be flipping through it, and you'll be watching, and it's like, is that Mick Jagger talking about... The Tree Man? The Tree Farmer? The Tree, the tree man, man from Georgia. <laughs> uh, is that Clapton? Is that Billy Bob Thornton? Is that John Mayer? Is that... And the list goes on and on and on on how wonderful he is, how much of a gentleman he is how well-respected he is. Uh, it is so worth it. Um, I don't know if you could tell I'm very excited about this show. Mostly I think, because yeah. I think there's a lot that we could do with Chuck in the future. And he's just so approachable and so kind. He has family that lives here, which... Bring him back. Is, you know, a good reason to bring him back. Um, the... Um, so the, the, the treatment is on next week. So the night of the show, show 30 minutes of the clips, intermission, and then we roll our Steinway Concert Grand out for him. He performs and tells stories and plays the music from the, all of those stories, and it's being moderated 
and he asks that he, he doesn't do this presentation very often because he's in the stones. <laughs> and he also runs a ranch and a tree. And he runs a ranch, yeah, and he's so. nationally recognized environmentalist. He's a smidge busy. Yes. Okay. And so uh, he said, well, I'd like to get, if you could help just get a moderator that's local that would ask questions and kind of help keep the dialogue going. Okay. And we're like, sure. So what did we do? We got Matt Ross Spang, a Memphian producer, engineer, new studio owner in Crosstown, who is legendary in the business and ended up working with Chuck on an album um, with um, Betts. What was it called? Almond Betts Band. The, the kids of the Almonds, of Greg Almond and Dickie Betts of the Almond Brothers. So anyways, we have a Memphian on stage with a Rolling Stone. With a, yeah, with a legend. And the, the um, Rolling telling tree man. really cool stories and... I just want Chuck to hang out and visit as many people as as as, as, time will as allow. COVID will allow. As COVID will allow. Right. So be there, be square this Thursday. I have a couple more questions for you before we let you go. Okay. So you're um, easy to talk to. Oh, thanks. Like, we, we chewed up all this time. Thanks. Um, so if you have just changed the dial and are just now joining us, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio ninety one point seven FM, and we are talking with Paul Chandler, the executive director at GPAC. And a couple questions. So one is you mentioned that you wanted to talk about why it's so important to invest in local theater arts yep. and the state of arts right now is something you said you wanted to chat about for a second. Um, I, I think what I was mostly referring to is the industry. Okay. So we can put That's fine. performing art. And uh, we can put music in the entertainment industry. Okay. I'm cool with that. So, um, and much to, a lot of my background does come from music, like, um, due to just, you know, the different parts of my career. Right. And I have sat on many, many a panel. I've seen a lot of money burned through, <laughs> millions of it, okay. matter of fact. Through different, or, yeah, it's really <laughs> no. I bit my tongue a lot. I voiced my opinion a lot. You know, I'm not a you know, I'm not a fighter, but I got some things to say. Okay, let's hear it. Back well, back then, okay, when such said money was being burned through okay, and was nothing was being accomplished. And hot mic. So what do we want to do? We want to grow the music. We want to grow the music industry in Memphis. Mm -hmm. We want to be like. <laughs> Or how come so and so <laughs> is bigger than we are? So and so. What about Old Austin? So -and -so. What about Austin? What about Nashville? What yeah. about Atlanta? Where are we? Where's New Orleans fit into it? Well, um, I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. Same. Because a lot of leaders have put a lot of energy and and dollars into trying to grow it, and I think they missed the mark three different times, and. Um, here's my observation. Okay. We have talent. Yes, we do. It's in the water. It is, literally, in our it's aquifer. In our aquifer. <laughs> There's no doubt that there is something about this area of the country that breeds such talent. Yeah. creative people. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about that in the literary world as well. Yeah, but let's just the full sense kind of, yeah. of talk about music and entertainment. Uh, we have studios. Got gobs of them. 
legendary ones and new ones, mm-hmm. all doing, most doing great work mm-hmm. and working really, really hard. We don't have agents. We don't have managers. We have, I think, some small and effective publicists. Okay. And we might have somebody who says, I'm a manager or I'm an agent, but... In the truest sense of, like, infrastructure for that the, part of that, that, know, those, that part of the those, industry does those not... Those cogs yeah. are, are missing. Okay. And they're vital. Yeah. Because a manager manages the career mm-hmm. and, and uses the manager's network to move the artist into opportunities and to guide them and to open doors for them. Not just take 10% of their income, but actually create income. Yeah. Agents, and I'm talking about agents that represent original artists. Okay. Not agents that represent cover bands. Well, not right. that part. Okay. Not people who are booking weddings. Not that agent. Though we love you, if, yeah. you, if you're listening. Well, yeah, because yes. you're putting musicians to work. Yes. And that's really, really vital for our success. Absolutely. But I understand, But yes. the agents that are calling and getting the club dates and yes. the theater dates around the country don't have offices here. Okay, that's interesting. I've it's never heard missing. it put quite like that, which is interesting. It's missing. Yeah, it is. And it's, they're all over Nashville. Yeah. They're certainly in New York and L.A. There's some in Chicago and there's some in Atlanta. That's it. And so um, in terms of the primary and the majors who could actually move the needle. So I, I said that many, many times in all these different commissions and foundations and whatevers that blew through millions of dollars. That's what's missing. What do you uh, think it would take to get more infrastructure like that here in Memphis? I don't know. I've, I've thought about it before. Sadly, I think that Nashville's too physically close to us. And they're like, oh, there's agents there's there. A, there's, I mean, William Morris and CAA and ICM and IMG. And I mean, the list on goes every on. corner. They're, they're everywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, I have thought about, uh, and I had suggested it before. So, you know, let's take some of this funding and let's talk to a major agency and let's woo them to the market to establish an office and put people to two people down here that are in the scene and can spot talent and talk to the manager and see if we can get, um, you know, one can assume, I, I don't want to sit here and talk about Nashville and I don't know much about it, but I know enough, <laughs> but everybody's in the business. Yeah. So there's a tipping point too. Where nobody new can get in, yeah, or you can't go n- navigate something fresh and new. It's too saturated and I know that there. The, and I mean, there's this, plenty of opportunity here, so yeah. it would make to me. Again, I know nothing is quite as simple as it seems yeah. from the outside looking in, but it would seem like this would be a smart business move for agents and managers to want to open a satellite office, send Possibly. a couple people down here because there is so much talent. And Possibly. in other big cities, wouldn't it all be saturated? Possibly. But, you know, from my point of view, so much is keeps so much affects it and so much keeps changing. So what's what's happened recently? Now I see when I talk to agents, many of the longtime agents are gone after the pandemic for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And there's a lot of younger people. Well, they don't talk on the phone. They only <laughs> email. Yeah. And they're ha- I don't know where they are, 
but they're probably sitting in an apartment in yeah. the major city that the home office is in. Yeah. And so... You got to be boots those, on the ground. And they're watching videos of performances. And I think the old days of, like, stumbling into a club and seeing... The next a, big thing. Right. Are tough. Yeah, that's true. So technology's gotten in the way, too. Of so, some of that magic. Yeah. I mean, some of that you just got to... We've talked about it, I mean, for a lot of our programming as well. I mean, there's just something... Can it be done via Zoom? Yes, technically it can. Is it better when it's in person? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's just something magical about mm-hmm. when all those different things come together to create that environment and that experience that yeah. you can't recreate. Right. Through, and we learned the, the pandemic. I mean, I can remember, you know, live stream is going to be where it's at. It's going to change the world. And it's it's flat. Yeah. And everybody knows it. And I think that that's great that we had to realize, well, not great, but <laughs> an outcome is we were, many people realize the value of the live experience. And I think yeah. we'll all, you know, be more engaged and more entertained because of that. Absolutely. I would agree. How can listeners follow along or participate in the work that you're doing? Everything's on the internet. Everything's <laughs> at gpacweb.com. We have now, we woke up from the pandemic at GPAC and we're now a complex. We started to use that term internally. Okay. So we have the Duncan Williams Performance Hall, yes. which is the 28-year-old, acoustically phenomenal, incredibly casual, excuse me, incredibly comfortable and casual, <laughs> but it is incredibly comfortable and the sound is amazing. That's an 844 now these days, 844-seat theater. The outside, the Grove, uh, on the True Green Lawn and the First Horizon Foundation Plaza, and the Duncan Williams Asset Management Stage. All good friends of ours. Yes. So, yes. Um, and good supporters yes, all good, throughout the community. Yes. Love um, to see it. The architects and fire marshals said 1,200 for outside. That'd but be, well, I'm not putting 1,200 people out <laughs> that'd there. That'd be a little tight. I think that's 1,200 19-year-olds standing up, jumping yeah. up and down to some just EDM. Like, and that, just like that's, shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> that's not happening. That's not quite the audience no. <laughs> that German Dad's looking for. And so... Um, Oh, so how do you find out about it? Everything is online. Do pay attention. Is it inside? Is it outside? Is it indoors? Is it outdoors? Pay attention to where you're, the right. show you want to see where you're going. Right. We haven't had anybody show up with a lawn chair in the front door and ask to go see Herb Alpert and his wife, Lanny Hall. Cargo so, shorts and flip-flops. Right. We haven't, <laughs> but it's coming. It's coming. Not everybody <laughs> reads everything. So um, um, we built the Grove... I use this terminology as the, our front porch like to that. invite people to come inside. So the Grove is an audience builder for the indoor organization mm-hmm. or the presentations inside. Yeah. And so we firmly believe, as you said before, there are a lot of people that think that performing arts are not for me. They're for somebody wearing a jacket that has white hair or it's not for me because, you know, I like football. But it is. There's a lot of things for people. So we have seen the outdoor be a space where people have come to our facility and they've never been there before. You might find these percentages quite interesting. When we were selling tickets to events outside only, we measured the percentage of people who had 
never purchased a ticket for us ever. Well, at least in 16 years. Okay. I mean, that's pretty and good. Those those events ranged between 26 and 44%. That had never purchased with you previously? Right. Wow. Wow is right. So that was the intent of the Grove, was to new people to our front porch to see that we're interesting and we're customer focused mm-hmm. and we're nice and we like quality entertainment and a quality food experience and a quality beverage experience as best we can manage. Yep. Food trucks are hard to manage, I have to say that. <laughs> and so um, Events are hard to manage. So. Are, well, we got events. <laughs> yeah. Food trucks just, are hard to predict. Just generally, yes. Yeah. And so um, it's working for us step by step, and we're we're thrilled. And right now we're trying to build our team back to the size we thought we needed to operate the Grove and GPAC at the same time. Okay. And we don't have that personnel yet. Okay. But one day we will, and there will be something, I don't know, five days a week. That'd be great. It would be it would be something. They may kill me, but <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> yes. listeners. My, my my awesome team took me out. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. Um, so I do have a couple of a quick, a little kind of rapid fire questions that I great. saw. I saw a Memphis Business Journal article that you did what? with um, with them, and it was in the year dun 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 twenty thirteen. Okay. So almost 10 years ago. Wow. And so I wanted to what see... What month does it say? May. I know, March. March of 13. March of 13. Okay, what does it say? So it has, it's just like real quick, like first job, education, oh, like, yeah. and then it talks about like toughest business decision, blah, blah, blah. So um, yada, yada, yada. Is that the as, one about the coffee? What's your favorite part of your day? Is that what it's asking? No, I'm oh, asking Oh, it's you. mine yeah. when I get to go back to sleep. Oh, mine is the <laughs> first half of the first cup of black coffee. Okay. Well, I was going to say, actually, my favorite part of my day is when my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter um, is, like, still sleepy enough to, like, really want to cuddle with me in the morning. Nice. That's sweet. But as long as it's not, like, 4.30, that, that's when that happens. Right. That's, like, that's ideal. That beats the coffee. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a couple of things about this to see if it's changed. So okay. the thing you like best about your job? Uh, I like my team, yeah. Okay. You said before in 2013, what? you said you were energized by enthusiastic audiences regardless of the genre. How very yeah. lovely. Okay. Good Same. answer, Chandler. Good answer. <laughs> I applaud 2013 me. Well, let me... I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm very hyper-focused about my team, which is why I said that top of mind. But I think what I said there is Still true. accurate, yes. It is. But what I wanted to share was I learned about five years ago that I feed off of the audience and not the entertainer. So I'm not an audiophile. I don't own any music. I don't collect music. And people talk to me like, hey, you have this album? and You, you collect vinyl? Yeah. I'm like... I don't own anything. I, I own more vinyl than you. How is yes, this possible? I feed off of what the audience is doing. And I find myself listening and looking at them. Like looking out almost. Right. Yeah. All the time. It's that magic. It's and that if, intangible. You can't put words to that magic. If the audience is weak, like nobody showed up, which yeah. has happened, yeah. but not often. 
and the show stinks, which has happened, but it's not often, I get ill and I leave. I can't take it. Do you get physically ill or I just do? Mental? I just I get I get I, I have to leave. But okay. when it is when the when the energy is in the space, I just that's what feeds me. And that's what I meant by that. And it's still true today. Okay. Biggest pet peeve. I don't know. What was it? What's my pet peeve today? Oh. At work. At work? Yeah. Poor performers. What did I say? You said poor or lack of signage at a venue. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Poor or lack of signage. Yeah. I can believe that, yeah, too. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Okay. Um, let me see. Favorite movie in 2013. Do you want to know what you said? Yeah. You, no, guess. What, oh, my God. In 2013? <laughs> yeah. Eight Mile. You absolutely said Eight Mile. You no. said a tie between Eight Mile and Immortal Beloved? Yeah, that's a good one, too. Okay. Do you know that one? No, but You're it says watch that when you go Ludwig Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, you should watch Immortal Beloved. Okay. It's great. Um, no, it's The Tree Man. The Tree Man. Yeah, I got to get on Netflix. Um... Favorite way to spend free time? I like my wife and my kids and my dog. That's very sweet. In 2013. I'm a fisherman, too. Yeah, you did. You said in a boat with Jamie Rouse. Yeah, that's a, that's my thing. I'm okay. a fisherman. Um, person you're most interested in meeting? Oh, my. Oh, today? Wow. I don't know. What did I say? My maker. My maker. Yeah. What word best I, describes you? I'm peaceful. What Emphatic. I, emphatic. Oh, yeah. I, um, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have, I have a couple more because this is, this is a little bit fun now. I wasn't going to ask this many, but now this is just kind of fun to Come like, on. like 10 years difference. Bring it. Okay. So worst business decision. Wow. <laughs> Worse, getting into a partnership. <laughs> At the time, you said not applying to the Directors Guild of America Assistant Director oh, Training yeah. Program. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was just a kid. <laughs> and just I was just a kid. <laughs> I thought I wanted to work on movies. Yeah. And uh, I met this, uh, I lived in Atlanta for like a year, and I met this, this guy that was my age-ish. And he had just graduated from what's called the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, which yeah. then makes you qualified to be an assistant assistant, they call them, assistant assistant director. Okay. There's like three levels, like third assistant, second oh, assistant, or okay. assistant AD, or the assistant director to the director. So if you go through that program, you are suddenly entrenched. Well, you are, you are in a club, which means you go, they just start telling you, you're working Superman. So for six months, you'll be in Australia working on a Superman major motion picture. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. That's so funny. And um, I didn't do it because, quite frankly, I got burned out. I worked 348 yeah. jobs in just about five, six years, and I was ready to get out of standing around on a set for 18 hours. Your guiding principle. What was it? Just be nice to people. Just be nice. That's still the same. It's required. Do it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's required. Um, Just be nice. Business philosophy. Work your plan. Plan your work and work your plan. 
Listen first. Oh, it's now plan your work and work your plan. Um, and this is a shout out to my sister-in-law, Christina McKean in Mobile, Alabama. Your yeah. education. I'm just, I'm just a simple guy. I don't have any fancy degrees. Where'd you go? Where'd where you I go to went college? To Spring Hill College. And where'd you go I to? I was a uh, um, school uh, bachelor here in the arts in communication. Okay. I graduated in four years, mm-hmm. and I I met people from all over the world and all over the country, and which made me a big part of who I am today. I went to Christian Brothers High School here. And I went to St. Dominic School for Boys. So what does that mean? I'm Roman Catholic. <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican Roman Catholic, the best kind. Best kind. And um, I was educated by, let's see, Dominican nuns, Christian brothers, and Jesuit priests. Amen. Hallelujah. That was, <laughs> it was, that was quite a run. I don't know if it gets better than that. Is there anything that we did not cover today? No, you were, were really easy to talk to. Good. I would love to come back anytime. Well, we would love to have you. So anytime, just let us know. Thank you. Thank for you for me. stopping by. Bye. This is Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. And I really enjoyed my conversation with Paul so much so that there's an extended cut over on our podcast. At New Memphis, we always have something going on, and this season is no exception as we gear up for fall. We are so excited. We have Memphis 101 today at Mosh, formerly known as the Pink Palace, tonight. We will be over there, Aaron Wendell, Janie Rad, and Memphis. What gets better than that, dear listener? It is generously sponsored by Regional One Health, and we are so, so excited. Is it a fabulous place to host this event? It has buku opportunities to network with other people and learn a little bit about what makes Memphis so special and how you can plug in to make sure that our future looks even better. So we also have our TEDx Memphis applications open. So if you head over to newmemphis.org, you can find out more about TEDx and we are super excited. TEDx will be um, on February 11th, 2023 at the Crosstown Theater. We love us some Crosstown. And a gentle reminder that New Memphis is a local nonprofit, 501c3. And we cannot do it without the support of our listeners, our alumni, our sponsors, and our community. So I encourage you to, while you're at newmemphis.org, go ahead and click that big red donate button and give with your heart to make sure that the things you know and love about our city, like New Memphis and like GPAC, remain here. Until next week, bye. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.